0: Welcome to another episode of Paul Kim Explains Everything. I will be your host, Paul Kim. My co host is Monica Hravancic, the one and only. Today we'll be talking about the 2016 U.S. primaries. We'll also be talking about how primaries work, why this year's primaries are very, very important, and why you should care. So without further ado, we're very excited for you to hear this episode. Here it is. Give me time,
1: give us-
2: Tell me. All right, PK, are you ready? Oh,
0: boy, I'm I ready. Are you ready, Monica?
2: <laughs> I'm so, so excited. Uh, I think today's going to be amazing. It should be good. So what are we going to be talking about today, PK? So
0: we're talking about the American political system, specifically the 2016 American primaries. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So... A lot of people listening may not know about how the American primary system works.
2: Me included? I have no idea.
0: Yeah, it's fair. And some people may be highly, highly politically inclined. My family happens to be very politically (laughs) inclined. um, And they're a listener, so if anyone from uh, that group of people, people who are more politically inclined, are listening to this, just a disclaimer, I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possible, but I'm probably going to fail. Um, so please know that I'm, I am making an honest attempt here, but it's going to be hard. Whenever you talk about politics, it's going to be hard to be unbiased. So we're going to go over how the primary system works. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to describe some of the current candidates and uh, why I think that this political season
2: mm-hmm. is
0: going to be seen as a really, really big moment in American history. Mm -hmm. There's certain things about the current political climate that are really freaking crazy um, and that I think are necessary to clarify so that more people can appreciate it. It's just there's like everyone's just hearing about Donald Trump and a lot of the momentum that he has and the crazy things that he says. But there's other elements about what's going on currently that are going to have, in my opinion, much far reaching impacts on the American political system and the country as a whole for years to come. So, that's the impetus to why we're doing all this. Oh my goodness! Yeah,
2: this is gonna be exciting.
0: Yeah, it should be good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go into first how uh, primaries work. So America has what's called uh, political scientists call it a first past the post political system, mm-hmm. and that basically means that like whoever gets the most number of votes wins the whole shebang. There's the other countries don't necessarily do this. Like the parliamentary system is a little bit different. Uh, other like South Africa has a different political system from this as well.
2: Who wins the whole shebang?
0: So let, let let's say that like, you know, we're running for a certain office. You and I, right? Like mm-hmm. we're trying to become the secretary of the treasury or whatever. Well, actually, that's a bad example because that's that's an appointed position. Um, let's say we're trying to like go for like a a district seat in our district in California, right? Okay. We We're trying to like win a seat. So we both campaign. Right, We both say, hey, we're going to run for this thing, spend all this money, talk to all these people, talk about how we feel about the issues. And then if you win 6% of the vote of the popular vote, everyone goes to the polls, everyone votes, we want Monica. And you win 6%. I win 2% of the vote. No one else gets more than 6% of the vote, making you the front runner and the winner of the election mm-hmm. at only 6% of the vote. You still win the whole shebang. You get that seat. So in other, in other countries, like, how it works is that you vote for a specific party. And the percentage of vote that that party wins is the number of seats that they're given. You see? That's yeah, different. See. That's I a see. completely different system. So
2: my the Monica party would get 6% of the seats yep. in the house. That
0: are up for, up for grabs or whatever. Yeah. And every year... Well, it depends on what country you're talking about. But every year, like, all the seats go up. Yeah. See? But the American system is different in that whoever gets the most, even if it's 6% of the people who wanted them, you still won the most, so you get the whole bishop You See what I'm saying?
2: So so when people make the argument, uh, my vote doesn't matter, it essentially does not. If you want to vote for one of the people, that's not the front-runner. Whereas in the European political system, what you're saying is your vote does matter because you're giving a little bit more mass to the party that you want.
0: To uh, yeah, well, in in the sense of how it affects who gets elected, the sentiment, my vote doesn't matter, the way that you're describing it, I would say is accurate. But I think when people say my vote doesn't matter, they're just describing frustration at how... There's a lot of things about the American political process that make votes not matter.
2: Well, but like, for example, for the president, right? Whoever you vote for for president doesn't matter because that he's not elected he's elected by the electoral college. Yes, that's yeah.
0: that's one of the things. Okay, yeah. we'll get into it. We'll get into okay. it. Okay, exactly. well, that's just a
2: teaser everyone. Yeah.
0: So. Well, the primaries are even crazier than this cuz they work on a completely different system. So,
2: Yeah, explain the, explain what the primaries are sure. compared to that.
0: So, in most industrialized countries, almost at, well, yeah, basically every country, candidates who want to win office or certain position right have to run under the association of a political party. So in the U.S., there are two major political parties, the Democrats and Republicans. When the presidential election comes around, people are trying to win the right to say that they are the candidate, presidential candidate for the Democratic Party, for the Republican Party or whatever other political party, independents, libertarians, green, whatever political party you want. And political parties are just groups of people that say, hey, we're a political party, whatever. Um, the, the thing about the American system is because we are first-past-the-post, political scientists over the past decades have conclusively discovered that in a first-past-the-post electoral system, only two parties can exist at any given time. It will always push towards that limit. And the reason is, is because of the reason that you described earlier, people don't want to waste the vote. If you know that whoever gets the most percentage of votes is going to be the candidate... And in the media and in the information that you're collecting, that these are the two front runners. You're not going to vote for candidate option number three, mm-hmm. who you're expecting to only get like 1% of the vote. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So people start selecting one that they think is actually going to win. And what it forces is that established parties over a series of years end up maintaining a brand and also... Uh, maintaining, like, a political uh, member base that continues to vote under their party.
2: You you might get into this later, but does that make for a more uh, uh, confrontational party system? So I would vote Republican just so a Democrat wouldn't win. Um, like, it's more... Uh, there's more conflict in between the parties versus if any party could be, you know, could get a chunk of land. It's less us versus you. It's more, you know... Like, I'm voting Green, but you're voting Republican, and that's fine.
0: Even in countries that have not first-past-the-post electoral systems, parliamentary Mm -hmm. systems or whatever, right, there's still a lot of political turmoil that occurs. The sentiment that I'm just going to vote for this other guy because I don't want this party to come into power has been true since, like, the democratic process has existed effectively, right? Like, people Mm -hmm. just voting to screw over this guy. I forget what state it was. There was a state... In the Midwest somewhere, back in the 80s, I believe, who this ho-dunk guy, he put his name down for governor just as a joke. And he ended up winning because everyone hated the current governor. So then he ended up being the governor of this state and being like, crap, like, I have no idea what to do in this situation. I didn't think I was going to win. He spent no campaign money. He just put his name down in the ballot. But was everyone there, was voted there for no
2: other candidate?
0: No, there was. It was. It was the existing governor who everyone hated, and mm-hmm. then it was this guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I switched me. Yeah, yeah. There was no other candidate. It was just these two people. So then everyone ended up choosing this other guy because they wanted the governor to get kicked out. So, yeah, I mean, the the that's, thing. That's
2: one way to do it. I guess. That, that is one way
0: to do it. The thing about current American politics and what you're kind of alluding to is the polarization in America mm-hmm. of Democrats versus Republicans, and. I don't have the exact research on this, but in my opinion, a lot of that has to do with the American media and changes in corporate media. And it has to do with really, really big shifts in the political system in the 70s and 80s, which I'll also get into. Okay. Um, so going back to primaries for a second, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of, when, when, when you look it up, it just doesn't, it seems like very unrepresentative, the whole primary system. Because how it works is that... It's on a state-by-state state basis, right? And a political party, like I said, isn't a regulated, official, like the federal government creates a political party. It's just a bunch of people that get together and say, hey, we're a political party, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. So they get to make up their own rules on how like candidacy works. And these rules have been around for a long enough time that the government then started to apply laws them. You see what I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How a political party decides... A presidential candidate is that they have to do what it's called like a primary candidacy, and each state has their own political branch of a given party. So there's a Democratic Party in Ohio, in Oregon, Washington, Michigan, whatever. Every every state mm-hmm. and plus the territories like Guam, Saipan, um, Puerto Rico, right? Actually, unfortunately, those other territories don't really matter because it's just symbolic. They have they can't even like really vote in the president. Um so it's just like a what would they do kind of situation. <laughs> so there's two ways that each state decides to nominate their their delegate. This is uh sorry, their candidate. And a candidate, this is really confusing. The terms here are super, super confusing. A candidate is a man or a woman who wants to run as the candidate for whatever office representing that party. So Hillary Clinton is a Democratic candidate, right? Donald Trump is a Republican candidate,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? As opposed to delegates. Delegates are actually something entirely different.
2: Are delegates once they're selected uh, as the frontrunners for their party.
0: No, 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 no. That's not how it works at all. This uh, is why it's uh-huh. freaking confusing, right? So what happens is that each state is going to vote on which candidate, Marco Rubio, Cruz, Sanders, Hillary Clinton, right, Mm -hmm. that they want. But the people who are voting in those states, right, aren't actually voting for a specific candidate. Instead, what they're doing is they're voting for a specific delegate. And this delegate is a representative of that state that goes to this huge convention for the political party And then they vote on behalf of the state for a specific candidate. So it's a middleman. And these delegates are like super representatives. They're like mayors, they're governors, they're... So the the Democratic Party, for example, decides to award Iowa like six delegates. So then the people of Iowa get together and they vote for whichever delegate that they think is going to vote for a specific candidate. So a delegate of Iowa, let's say he's the governor, Mm -hmm. says, I'm a Hillary supporter. So then people, the general populace, votes for the Hillary supporter delegate, Mm -hmm. and then he or she gets selected. Then they go off to this huge convention for the political party called the National Convention. There's a Democratic National Convention. There's also a Republican National Convention. And there, those delegates then actually cast their vote for a given candidate it's freaking confusing you see oh what i'm saying oh
2: my goodness yeah you you
0: follow me yeah, so far? Yeah, yeah. yeah so the the general public actually yeah, and and the responsibility when
2: are the delegate uh, elections
0: uh well they're happening right now the primary so the iowa iowa caucus just happened the new hampshire primary just happened mm-hmm. the next one that's uh, the big ones that are coming up now are nevada And uh, there's another one. Uh, Shoot, I forget what the other ones are. There's also differences in how the states vote and decide on their delegates. So it's it's a very, very complicated part. Basically, the idea is the general public does not directly vote on a given candidate. That's the most important thing. Okay? Yeah. Which is really weird to me. The most crazy thing to me is that in... In... Each state, they have different laws in place as to whether or not the delegate is forced to represent the people that voted for them.
2: Shut up. Yeah. So I could elect a Hillary delegate who then ends up voting for the opposite party.
0: Exactly. Well, no, no, no. What who ends dick. up Who <laughs> ends up voting for Sanders? Because once you're a delegate for a given political party, you must vote at their national convention.
2: But you can vote for whoever you want.
0: It depends on the state. So most states have laws in place that if you are selected as the delegate representing that state, right, mm-hmm. uh, you have to vote as your constituency voted for you. So if you ran saying that I'm a Bernie or Hillary supporter, when you go to the national convention, you have to like vote along those lines. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But some states don't don't have that as a rule. So if I'm the delegate for a given state, like let's say Arkansas, right,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm the delegate for Arkansas. I say. You know, I'm going to be I'm going to be a Trump supporter. And then I get all these votes. People think, oh, Paul is a Trump supporter. And then I go to the Republican National Convention and there I vote for Rubio instead. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the laws are like in Arkansas, but in certain states, that's okay. In other states, I have to vote for Trump. I have to vote as the position that I ran for or that I vocalized. Right. When people voted for me, I can't change. I must represent the voter base.
2: Why why do we have a system where there's this middleman? And why do they like why couldn't the people just vote for whatever candidate they wanted?
0: Uh political parties have a vested interest to be able to control the direction that the party's going to go based on who the leadership is. So over the years the leadership changed how they decide who their candidacy is in order to isolate themselves from the whimsy of the general mass. So like if, if it's the case that suddenly, like, corn growth in America, like, corn production in America is a huge freaking deal, right? Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be a huge deal for, like, these 10 months during the primaries. Um, the delegate system, and there's even super delegates who get extra votes, uh, extra votes in the normal delegates. They are there to represent the, quote-unquote, establishment. That is to say, the leadership of a given party. And allow them to have more control over selecting a proper, quote-unquote, proper candidate for Mm -hmm. that political party there's there's a lot of research in political science that has shown that uh, the ability for the masses to responsibly select a candidate that's like gonna be better for the country as a whole Mm -hmm. is actually very very poor masses are very easily manipulated and also like short memory and stuff Mm -hmm. like that right so the delegate system is a way for party leaders to maintain control over the direction that the party's gonna go once the candidate for presidential election is selected, then the masses take over, electoral college kicks in. That's a whole other run. So, all of this craziness the delegate system, superdelegate system is just there to figure out who the heck are we going to run for president? Like, who are we going to select to run for president? Right. And mm. so, that's how the delegate system works. And then each state has either a caucus or a primary. And that's even crazy, too. <laughs> a caucus, so like Iowa is a caucus. Mm-hmm. And how that works is that It's a public vote, so you publicly have to show up somewhere. Your vote is known and displayed everywhere. And you, most cases, have to physically select one side of the room or another. So if there's like three candidates running or whatever, they'll come into a huge room and they'll say, okay, if you want to vote for candidate A, go in that corner. If you want to vote for candidate B, come to this corner. And then they have a debate if you want to change your vote during the caucus you have to physically move from one corner to the other and then when all the debates are over they count some, some delegates come and they physically count every person
2: what? in each corner <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and then that's the number of that's how they decide who they're going to select for a given state right um, how many are people voted for a given delegate in a given state yeah,
2: that would be so harsh if you were doing a speech and then people just start to trickle away yeah so those candidates and you're like damn it so
0: those people's <laughs> votes no longer count if you leave right before the count is 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 made yeah your vote doesn't exist anymore so you have to stay for the whole freaking thing or you have to come when like you know they're actually you see what I'm saying really, yeah, uh,
2: so weird yeah, yeah.
0: So that's how caucuses work, and there's a lot of rules regarding caucuses, In each state that has a caucus it runs a little differently. Uh, and then there's primaries, which are just basically how normal elections work, and it's a private vote. You go to some high school gym, and then you punch a paper hole, or you punch a button in a machine or whatever, and they allow you to vote anonymously, as opposed to a caucus where you have to show up and everyone can publicly see Monica is a candidate A supporter or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So in a primary, you have three different types of primaries. There's closed primary, which is in order to vote in a primary for a given political party, you must register as a member of that political party. So people who are not registered as Democrats can't vote in the Democratic primary. People who are not registered as Republicans or Independents or whatever can't vote in their respective political party's primary. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? That's That's a closed primary system. There's a semi-closed primary, which is Independent voters, guys who don't really register for one party or another, mm-hmm. can also vote in our primary. So if I'm not registered as Republican or Democrat, I'm considered an independent voter. And in a semi-closed state, I can choose one and only one of those political parties to vote in their primary.
2: So when you, when you as a, I'm a Arkansas native, mm-hmm. I go to a primary vote. It's a closed primary vote. Mm-hmm. I'm voting for a delegate or I'm voting for a candidate.
0: Delegate. You're still voting for delegates. Okay. So,
2: okay. So all what a primary is is just selecting a delegate.
0: Well, you both both in the caucus and primary, you're still voting for delegates, but those delegates are then proxies for the candidate that you're trying to vote for. So you're voting through the delegate.
2: So is there a delegate primary where all the delegate or that's the national? No, convention. they're
0: selected. The delegates are, are are awarded by the larger national political party to a given state. So like.
2: Right. 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 But yeah. I'm saying. Okay, so, so I, as an individual bo- voter, go to a primary. Uh-huh. It can be a caucus, it can be closed, it can be...
0: It can be a, it can be either a caucus, or it can be a closed primary, yes. semi-closed, open primary. Yes. Yeah.
2: There I select a delegate. Uh-huh. That delegate will go to a national convention, uh-huh. um, like the Republican National Convention. Uh-huh. There, they will vote for either the person I thought they were going to vote for or not, depending on the state. Yep. And then whoever wins that national convention becomes the candidate for presidency.
0: Yep. I see. And then they have to run in the presidential election. So all this craziness is just to figure out if you get to put the name Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party in under your name when you actually run for the presidency.
2: Oh my goodness. Crazy.
0: So semi-close primaries. Independents can vote in only mm-hmm. one political party and then there's open primaries where anyone can vote for any primary regardless of what party you're actually registered mm-hmm. with but you're only allowed to vote in one you can't just like vote in the republican one and in the democratic one right. and an in independent one i mean it's state by state so it's it's all really really different um another term that you're going to hear is called super tuesday and super tuesday is a specific Tuesday where a bunch of states hold their primaries or caucuses all at once.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: a big freaking deal. Because suddenly, like, in the 50 states, you know, in the U.S., I think it's like 14. I don't know how many. I forget how many it is. They suddenly select their delegates and, you know, by proxy, the candidates that they want mm-hmm. all at once.
2: So in the current political race, who are the frontrunner? Has Super Tuesday already happened? No. So who are the front runner candidates that we think...
0: Yeah. The Republicans fielded something like 15 candidates initially when the primary elections happened. The Democrats initially fielded like four because the Democratic Party, it was basically assumed that Hillary was going to win the Democratic nomination. Mm -hmm. Right. There was so she, she was neck and neck with Barack Obama during the last presidential election cycle. Right. And she's had a lot of support. She is a Clinton. She has a lot of established identity in the American ethos, political ethos. There were very few Democratic candidates. In the American historical narrative for politics, pendulum has usually swung left and right. So once the country goes very Democrat for a while, the pendulum swings back to the Republican side and vice versa. So the Rep Republicans knew that, you know, Obama's had two terms, so the chances of Republican candidate winning, historically speaking, seems like it'd be very high. So there was bunch of Republican candidates. Um, Right now, we're actually down to just a few. There's certain websites and certain online resources are only listing six reasonable Republican candidates left. And there are two Democratic candidates left. So on the Republican side, there are the following candidates. There's John Kasich, who's an Ohio governor. Donald Trump, who's a businessman and celebrity personality and who's just in the limelight a lot right now. Jeb Bush, former governor of Florida, and brother to George W. Bush. Ben Carson, who was the former head of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins. Marco Rubio, former speaker for the Florida House and current federal senator. Ted Cruz, deputy assistant general to the Bush administration, and Texas solicitor general, and he's currently a senator for Texas. So,
2: what it seems it seems like the political backgrounds here are so varied, right? You have. You know all these uh, governors, senators. Then you have a freaking pediatric neurosurgeon, head of pediatric pediatric neurosurgery. What? How? What makes these people decide to run? And then Trump, obviously, who's yeah. just like a, a, oh, you know.
0: Yeah. So th- this this is why I'm talking about this is because like this political season is so so crazy. Like, both parties are being torn apart right now. The primaries are showing deep divides in how America feels. The country should run in terms of the political establishment the general masses and then like just how the federal government's currently running
1: mm-hmm.
0: america's deeply deeply polarized and your question of how is it that these hodunk random non-political guys are such contenders is a very valid one so i'll get to that in a second mm-hmm. on the democratic side you have hillary clinton who i've described before and Bernie Sanders, who's a former representative in the House for Vermont, and now he's a senator. The the really crazy thing in what I was talking about earlier is that both parties are kind of facing an existential crisis. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is, and some people will disagree with me, I think it's pretty hard to, to disagree with this point. Hillary Clinton is considered more of the moderate choice on the Democratic side. She's... She's more moderate and arguably conservative on a couple of the issues like health care and security, national security, and a couple of other things, right, than Bernie Sanders is. Sanders is an extreme left candidate. He's a self-professed democratic socialist. He wants universal health care. He wants more involvement. But then he's also strange. He's like he's like kind of pro-gun in some ways. It, it, there's, there's Yeah, but... Th- He's definitely the farther left candidate than Hillary is. And then on the Republican side, you have more moderate, established, they've been called quote-unquote establishment candidates, like seasoned politicians who have very strong ties to the existing Republican Party. John Kasich is one of those candidates. Jeb Bush is another one of those candidates. And then you have really far extreme right candidates that have come into the mix. Donald Trump is one of them, especially, right? And in my opinion, Ted Cruz would be another one. And... The reason is, is because both parties are indicative of an increasingly polarized American populace. In the past, well, shortly after 9-11, I think like somewhere between 7 and 14 years following 9-11, was the rise of another political activist group within the conservative uh, side of America called the Tea Party. And they were, they suddenly came to power and were a huge force and really strongly disrupted the Republican Party over the past couple of years. And their whole platform was more security, more national security, smaller government involvement, and uh, a balancing of the budget by lowering uh, taxes and cutting uh, national spending. So Ted Cruz, in a lot of ways, kind of became the poster child, a poster boy of the Tea Party. A bunch of, I think they won like almost a dozen seats in the Senate and the House in the kind of the heyday of the the Tea Party. They're still definitely a large political force. But they're considered a fringe, extreme right-wing element. And there's a lot of right-wing, extreme right-wing elements that are trying to pull the Republican Party party further to the right. And then there's more moderate candidates who really, really dislike the current administration and the past few years of a uh, congressionally leftist, uh, a Congress that's been controlled by the left, right? And a White House has been controlled by the left. So you have a lot of those guys who are trying to pull the country back to the right politically but in a more moderate way and the crazy thing is is that in the polls and in all the elections so far the extreme right choices are the loudest and they happen to be winning which is really crazy and it's scaring a lot of the political establishment choices it's actually changed a lot of the dynamics on how uh, these political parties are functioning because it used to be that if the party didn't want you, if the establishment didn't want you, they could cut your funding, they could adjust the delegates, they could do all sorts of things. But Donald Trump especially has been showing that, like, with just enough popular support, you can cause so much momentum politically that you become a force to reckon with, even for the establishment. There's a big concern from both moderate Republicans and from the Democrats that if Donald Trump wins the primary and the eventual presidency, that he'll pull the country like really, really far to the right and in a bad way. Like right? like um and then there's also a big concern that, uh in with for moderate Republicans that if Donald Trump wins the candidacy, there's I've read articles that have said it's the end of the Republican Party. Even some of the other candidates for uh the Republican candidacy have said if he wins it'll be the end of the Republican Party. I think Jeb Bush said that actually.
2: Um, I know uh I know he's been in the media a lot, but uh just the general public. What's the, uh, what's the kind of split between, between the candidates? Do you know? Uh,
0: so let's see. Or
2: what's this, what's the perception of them at least?
0: The Donald Trump and I would I would lump in Ted Cruz with there too. Kind of appeal to, very very upset, typically farther right wing members of the U.S. who, are really upset at Obama not being more involved and. Uh, assertive in American foreign policy, who believe that the American healthcare system is doing terribly, that the economy is in shambles, and that we need a fiscal conservative in the White House in order to readjust for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That group of people find a lot of similarities with the extreme right candidates. And they happen to be the more vocal candidates as well. They they like Donald Trump because he's not an established career politician,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is the same reason why Ben Carson did so well as a neurosurgeon. Grassroots conservatives really liked that he wasn't. He was just a regular guy who mm-hmm. cared very deeply about conservative values and comes from a religious background. So that combination was very, very appealing to a lot of people. And it's uh, the vast majority of Americans today are deeply, deeply disappointed with the representation in Congress. So a lot of that is being expressed in both the Democratic and Republican parties in picking candidates that are kind of irregular. So that's kind of, I hope that answered your question. Like um, who's supporting?
2: Yeah, I guess um, I guess what I'm also getting at is uh, um, it seems that Trump has a lot of vocal, like adamant supporters but it also feels like there's a lot of people that very strongly oppose Trump. And is that different in this race versus previous year's races? Um, like, there were people that hated Obama, and there were people that hated Bush and all these things. Do you think this is just this year's, you know, dividing line? Or do you think this year it's actually more serious?
0: So I would say that this year it is more serious, and it's it's very, very different. And the reason I'm saying that is because It's been many, many decades since somebody like Trump and somebody like Bernie Sanders has actually been a serious contender for winning a political party candidacy. Like a socialist hasn't run with such seriousness and like a viability to win a party nomination in I don't even know how long, right? It's been like socialism was kind of just that title was like a death knell in American politics, but that Bernie Sanders is running as a democratic socialist is a big freaking deal. And for a bunch of candidates to say, like, Muslims should be banned, refugee Muslims should be banned from coming into the country, and others to say, like, unless they're Christian, uh, and still be serious candidates in, in, the, in, like, a political party's nomination process is, frankly, like, astounding. And Trump is unique in that a lot of people feel that his statements are deeply un-American, and some people very much resonate with his statement. The polarization in America being able to pull a candidate to the front like this is unique in my opinion in American politics. At the very least we haven't seen something this this unique since like the 80s, which is something that I'm kind of been alluding to this whole time. There's there's a couple of really really big changes in American in the American political system that have kind of led to this point, right? One of them is Citizens United, which you might have heard before. And is extremely controversial. Holy crap. So Citizens United was a case that was brought up to the Supreme Court a few years ago regarding what political organizations can do and how the government can regulate them. So there was a conservative lobbying group called Citizens United that during the 2007 year for the 2008 elections, was it 2007? I think it was just during the 2007 congressional elections, actually. They were trying to create a documentary called Hillary the Movie within the period of time that a 2002 law, the McCain-Feingold Law, also known as the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002, was passed. And what that law said is that Organizations, political organizations, right, cannot release any sort of media that expressly advocates for a given candidate within 60 days of a presidential vote or 30 days of a primary vote. So Citizens United tried to release an uh, an anti-Hillary movie video within that period of time. So they got a lawsuit and they couldn't do it. Previously, they had tried to do the same thing with Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Moore's video. But the law, the courts uh, said that they were unable to prove that Fahrenheit 9-11 was a ex- explicitly anti-George Bush movie. Whereas a movie called Hillary the movie is expressly <laughs> anti-Hillary. So citizens...
2: Does, does, does the, did that uh, only block a negative... Uh, propaganda? It's either way. You can't go
0: positive or negative under this law for a given candidate. Okay. Okay. So what Citizens United argued at the Supreme Court was that that law infringed on a corporation or organization's ability to express free speech. It was the government saying that you can't say these things within a certain period of time was too much government oversight and it encroached upon that group of people's First Amendment rights. And the courts agreed. It was really split. It was a it was a 4-3 split along the justices, right? With the conservatives falling on one side and the, the liberal justices falling on the other. The implications are really complicated. And a lot of people feel that the uh, Supreme Court did the right thing because had they ruled that it wasn't an encroachment on the First Amendment, it leads to a very, very slippery slope where the government can then control public discourse around the political system. You see what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. they can say, like, you can't talk about certain things in, in the elections within certain periods of time or you can't say things in certain ways, right? Um, but what it led to was basically unlimited campaign contributions expressly advocating for a given... Candidate, also known as like super PACs, political action committees, super political action committees. And what these organizations are, following Citizens United, are organizations that people can and companies can invest in. And these groups then spend money on expressly advocating for a given candidate in media Mm -hmm. when unlimited money amounts. It led to a huge flood of money rushing into the American political system. For example, in the 2012 political election, $7 billion was spent in that political election. $7 billion.
2: Just on advertising and media?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, no, the whole shipping, the whole freaking
2: candidacy was was $7 billion.
0: (laughs) Another big thing that really affects this primary. Uh, and well, just the American political system as a whole is a thing called gerrymandering, which I think is just frankly unconstitutional. But it's currently legal. Uh, what gerrymandering is is that in America, the number of votes that a state gets in a presidential election, or at any level actually, how how like political votes work, is by county. So within a given state, each state is broken up into a bunch of zones called counties. Gerrymandering is a way to redraw the county lines in order to favor one political party or another. So if you create, like, let's say that your party wants to limit the number of Republicans, Republican votes in a given state, they will pool Republicans in with very large Democratic, Democrat uh, votes to kind of make those races very, very close. And then create a bunch of districts around, really small districts around mostly Democratic votes to give them, to give the Democrats a larger representation in whatever political system there is. Who,
2: who does this?
0: Everybody.
2: No, I Everybody. know, but like, Everybody. who's in charge of drawing these lines? Like, are they... Well, they're...
0: the representatives of that state, actually. Mm. So who, in most states, it's whoever's in power redraws the lines in order to, to swing uh, political advantage to their party.
2: So, and this is for choosing the delegates?
0: It's for anything. It's for state representatives. It's for presidential elections. It's for selecting the delegate. All that kind of stuff.
2: And it doesn't. The people. It doesn't affect what the people see, right? It's not like signs are being moved, on like the people side. It's just on a map. You're like, now this is. Mm-hmm. Now this is a, a county.
0: Yeah. Oh, county. actually, sorry. Just a clarification. It doesn't really affect the the primaries, but it definitely affects like presidential elections. It affects uh, state elections. It affects... um, uh, There's another one. It has has huge implications. And both Democrats and Republicans have gerrymandered various states in order to maintain their advantage or affect election out results. So both parties are doing it. There's actually a law that the Supreme Court is... Well, a ruling that the Supreme Court is currently looking at to allow computer algorithms to draw the lines themselves or to allow a third party organization not in the state to draw those lines themselves. And the argument is that if the state is allowed to draw their own lines, the voters aren't getting an actual correct and fair vote in a yeah. given election cycle. And therefore, the state government or federal government right, is encroaching upon a citizen's ability to represent themselves politically. So how that decision goes is going to have a huge impact because gerrymandering has led to huge polarizations, arguably, in the American public. Because people feel that I'm just being manipulated or, you know, like my vote doesn't matter in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that I want to talk about is I want to draw a parallel between the current elections and what ha- happened in the 70s and 80s. So the, the craziest thing to me is that there was a general pushed towards, in my opinion, the right during the 70s and 80s in American politics as a whole. There was things like the moral majority, Reaganomics came out during this period of time. And the Democratic Party also shifted more to the right in this period of time. And it's been pretty well researched and noticed by a lot of political scientists, but they're split on exactly what the reasons were behind this shift um, in American history. The argument that I find the most reasonable is business got way more involved. Business interests got way more involved in the American political system starting in roughly the early 70s. There's an Atlantic article about this. Quote, in 1972, against the backdrop of growing compliance costs, slowing economic growth, and rising wages, a community of leading CEOs formed the Business Roundtable, an organization devoted explicitly to to cultivating political influence alcoa ceo john harper one of roundtable's founders said at the time quote i think we all recognize that the time has come when we must stop talking about it and get busy and do something about it end quote. this sense of an existential threat motivated the leading corporations to engage in serious political activity many began by hiring their first lobbyists and they started winning They killed a major labor law reform, rolled back regulation, lowered taxes, and helped to move public opinion in favor of less government intervention in the economy. So the Republicans just started blowing out the Democrats uh, in a lot of the elections at the state and federal level. And a lot of it came from huge amounts of uh, money being poured into campaigns by Republican candidates who had grown closer to business interests. Once the Democrats started losing a lot of face, there's actually a bunch of memos being sent by people like Clinton. And I think uh, another, there was another major candidate, uh, another major uh, political, I forget who it was. But anyways, these memos show that there was kind of a panic in the Democratic Party and that um, special interest groups like women's groups and environmentalists were ruining the Democratic Party and they they were causing the Democratic Party to not be up with the times. So there was a shift towards making the Democrats more business-friendly friendly, and oriented. So a lot of extreme left-wing guys buy into this narrative. And this is a big reason why, in my opinion, that Bernie Sanders actually has a really, you know, good chance at winning the candidacy at the moment because a lot of the young people who Hillary is doing terrible with Hillary got like 16% of the youth vote uh, in New Hampshire. She, she's winning like everybody over the age of like 45, but she's just get killed by Bernie Sanders when it comes to people under 35, right? Or 45, whatever. Those people who are more far left-wing empathize with the narrative that Bernie Sanders is saying that uh, money has become too big of an element. Business interests have become too big of an element in America. And he's been calling for a political revolution in the sense that Americans need to take back the American political process from business interests. And the power of that message has really resonated with a lot of young people. It's also been the case that in elections, just in general, when the youth vote, they usually vote for the more liberal candidate. So when more people vote, period, more youth vote, and typically in those years, the Democratic candidate has won. So Bernie Sanders' candidacy is advocating for a lot of young people, especially to come out and vote in the polls, right? Yeah. So there's there's just a really interesting shift right now and a very big, big question. What's going to happen for both Republicans and the Democrats? If Bernie Sanders wins the candidacy, it's going to be a message to the Democratic Party that your constituency wants to be farther to the left. And it could be a readjustment from the 70s and 80s that they shifted farther to the right. If Hillary Clinton wins, it could be a message that moderate Democrat or more centrist Democrats are still kind of the majority in the U.S. currently. On the Republican side, if Trump wins or Cruz wins, it could be a sign that the party's pulling further to the right. If an establishment figure more like Jeb Bush, which is probably unlikely at the, at this point, right, wins, it could be that the party needs to go further to the middle. Historically speaking, if you look from the 80s till now, moderate candidates have basically disappeared from the political map for split reasons as well. People feel that, some people feel, like I mentioned earlier, that it's because of business interests, um, media, polarizing the country. Some people feel that, it's just indicative of how global economy has affected and made navigating economics within the, con- uh, within the country really, really complicated. And opinions about that have become very polar, right? Like there's a lot of different reasons about why kinds of these kinds of things are happening. But overall, the thing that I'm hoping to get across here is I think that this primary is really, really freaking crazy. And what happens in this primary and in the presidential election is going to have huge impacts on American political process moving forward if we elect our first businessman to become president right it's going to make a sign that for the first time in US history a non-politician has the chance to actually win a presidential candidacy if we elect a democratic socialist it will be the first time a jew and uh, a democrat a socialist right has actually won the candidacy and it will sign a very very far shift to the left in American politics so it, it's just like it's really crazy because of how polarized both parties are, and the front runners who people thought were initially going to win are not currently the front runners, right? Like, Trump has been leading the polls for a long time now. Uh, people think Cruz is going to win. He's he's not as crazy. He's an established politician. He's very well read, and he has very he's like his ability to do well in the debates has been probably in my opinion like unsurpassed on the Republican side and he's arguably more electable for those reasons as well as a presidential candidate. On the Democratic side, Hillary's probably going to win. She has way more backing, she's an establishment choice in a lot of ways, but that Sanders is doing so well is very very surprising. It's just it's just like so many unknowns currently and I the primary system makes it complicated to understand most people don't really even care about how the presidency works yeah it's just nuts
2: (laughs) man i didn't i didn't ask this uh earlier but do you want to share your political uh inclinations or no
0: so the problem that i have is that there isn't a single candidate that really represents my personal beliefs and i feel like a lot of americans feel this way on social issues I'm very conservative. My faith informs a lot of that. My Christian faith informs a lot of that. But on economic and foreign policy issues, uh, I fall much more in line with the Democratic Party. Um, I currently think that, not just as a young person, but just in general, the issues of like income inequality, people's ability to navigate the current economic landscape, student debt, health care, and just looking at how other countries function. And that, even that statement is a little contentious. I fall more on, on Bernie Sanders, actually, for a lot of reasons. And it's really strange for me because he is definitely an extreme left candidate. And I've never empathized with an extreme left candidate ever in my life before. I find Hillary pro- problematic in a lot of ways. If there was a, like a Keynesian candidate on the Republican side, I probably would be voting for them. But most of the candidates, well, all of the candidates are supply side economists in terms of how they approach uh, the economy. Well, mm-hmm. actually, that's not true. There's there's a few candidates that are looking to increase taxes, but there's no way that they're going to win the candidacy.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Something. Uh, so as I'm not politically very much inclined for one side, but I do like how I do like watching how all the candidates present themselves to the social, you know, just to society and the kind of constituency they want, you know, they they will kind of pander to. Um, and it's funny, to, like, what's interesting to me is how young people view Bernie Sanders as, like, an ex- incredibly, like, likable, kind of, like, goofy guy. That's the impression I get. And then, you know, Trump is a very strong personality. Hillary is also a strong personality, but not as likable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I find... I find I find that most interesting.
0: Yeah, I have Republican friends that are convinced that there's something very nefarious about Trump winning in the polls. My, I think my sister said something like, "There has to be some sort of reason. Like the Democrats are in on it, right? They're mm-hmm. they're actually like helping Trump win, so that there's like this unreasonable clown running on the Republican side, and then the presidency becomes an easy win, mm-hmm. right?" There's just a lot of confusion right now in both parties. For me, like, there's a lot of things about the country right now that are very concerning that I think needs an appropriate response. Mm-hmm. And I think most Americans that are watching the American political race right now feel the same way. But how we feel, which which answer is the correct one, people are going to feel very, very differently about it. Like, one of the things that I feel is that... Um, for the first time in American history, uh, there's not demand is constrained in the economy. People just don't have enough money to be spending in the economy, in order to get it to be stimulated. Um, a lot of that's a very that's a very left wing view. Um, a lot of people on the right feel that regulation and taxation and and government spending is way too high, and that's the reason why the economy isn't being kickstarted yet. So it's very polarizing like even the fact that i'm saying this i i know that i have a very polar view right and a lot of people can disagree with me
2: you know uh you know how there's that one uh political scientist i think that runs a data blog where he's predicted the president for the last 20 years yeah 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 yeah. does has he come out with his prediction for this year yeah next election year
0: yeah so he thinks um man i forget what his name is he put Sanders' chance of winning at like eight percent or something like that, and Cruz's chance of win. Uh, sorry, Trump's chance of winning at like eleven percent. He's pretty sure that Hillary's gonna win the Democratic uh, nomination, and that I think it. I think he had. I think he had, Cruz winning the Republican one. It was either Cruz or Rubio, but Rubio really screwed up recently. Why? So how the um, how the elections kind of work out is that a bunch of candidates run uh, before the first caucus or primary actually is conducted. So there are like 15 on the the Republican side and then there was like 4 on the Democratic side, right? But the moment that the first election is held, caucus or primary, a bunch of people fall out. It's because it's uncertain. The the polls have been, like, the last couple elections, polls have been really unreliable. Basically, polling only works because You can only call landlines reliably, but the only people with landlines nowadays are, like, old people. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, like, middle-aged and youth, they only have cell phones or the internet. And polling them is very difficult and unreliable. Getting cell phone numbers or uh, internet polling is notoriously unreliable, right? So, like, I think Gallup and Pew both stopped doing political polling. Because it's just, they just feel that the numbers are very, like, misrepresentative.
2: So how did he mess
0: up? How did who mess up?
2: They said Rubio messed up. Oh,
0: oh, oh, oh. So in the polls, right, Rubio was coming in like fourth or fifth. Um, But when Iowa happened, he came in third. Yeah, Rubio. So Rubio came in third. He won 23% of the vote and Cruz came in first and Trump came in second, right? So that meant that he had a very serious chance at winning the Republican candidacy because in the very, very first state to go, Iowa... um, he was in the top three. So people thought, oh, Rubio's going to be the candidate. Iowa has never really indicated who actually ends up winning the candidacy. It just a lot of times indicates who just doesn't have a chance. A bunch of people fell off the boat mm-hmm. after, after Iowa. The first primary, New Hampshire, Iowa's caucus. New Hampshire has a law that they have to be the first primary in the U.S. But they don't count Iowa because Iowa's a caucus, so they say that we're still the first primary. Um, at New Hampshire... Rubio did really freaking well, right? But then he went into the debate following New Hampshire and freaking Chris Christie just ripped him a new butthole. Like, it was so bad. Uh, he he repeated the same, what Chris Christie called 20-second speech,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: six times within like 15 minutes or something. And Christie called him out on it. And it, 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 it was like, let's dispel with the fiction that Obama isn't, you know, blah, 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 right? So every time that he had a chance to talk, he repeated that statement over and over again. And in the middle of reciting it once, Chris Christie interrupted him and said, look, there it is. There's that 20-second soundbite. And he said something like, you know, with all your consultants and stuff and making 20-second soundbite, you know, it sounds good and everything. But when you're president of the United States, there you have to be able to make the hard decisions and not just mm. pander. And, oh, man, it, Rubio's, like, chances just evaporated. Oh, uh, man. They're calling it similar to Howard, the D, the Howard Dean scream. Yeah, Yeah. that
2: was unfortunate. That was, like, so inconsequential uh, for people to remember he had was doing a speech... Or something, and at the end of it, he went like, yeah, out of excitement, and that just crumbled his chances.
0: Yeah, he was supposed to win the candidacy that year, but at one of the rallies, he just went, ah! Mm -hmm. And then he's just gone.
2: Why? I don't, like, it's such a small inconsequential thing. Uh,
0: American politics are fickle like that. So so now people are saying, Ruby was supposed to, people really thought Ruby was going to win the candidacy, but then at that debate, they're like, there's no way. Like, his chances are just basically gone at this point. And a lot of political pundits are saying that it's going to be Cruz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just been, you know, like, huge shifts and changes in Mm -hmm. how people feel about candidates have happened in a very short amount of time.
2: So what parting words do you want to leave with our listeners regarding the the upcoming primaries?
0: Vote. Like, (laughs) um, I'm not saying that just because, like, I want a certain candidate to win. I think that the American political process is really broken because of how polarized the nation is. And the most important thing, I think, is get informed on the issues. Besides the personalities and stuff, I actually don't personally feel that, you know, how a candidate talks or whatever is all that important. I just feel that, you know, in picking a representative, you're picking for a specific direction that the country's going to go. So take the time to, like, figure out how you actually think America should conduct itself in the world and domestically. Research on how the candidates feel about it and pick the one that you think is the one that you most fall closely towards, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I really hope people take away from this. Because I think that however the U.S. votes in this primary and presidential election is going to have huge implications moving forward. So having your voice be heard, even if your candidate doesn't get one, is actually mm-hmm. going to be really, really important. Mm-hmm. So I hope people listening to this get the encouragement to get more informed and to pick a candidate to stand stand behind. Because mm-hmm. I really think that the shifts in uh, the political process in the 70s and 80s have indicated that how the U.S. responds has implications for decades to come is very, very true. Right. Um, So I really hope that people do their research, especially young people. Like, people our age are just terrible at
2: this. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, um, uh, as always, if you have any questions, please send us an email at paulkimexplainseverything at gmail.com or uh, tweet at us at paulkimexplains. I know this was a controversial topic, and there's a ton of stuff that we did not cover as the... Uh, you know, political debate rages on and it'll, I think, and at least my prediction is it'll only get crazier from here. Um, but hopefully now, uh, we're all a little bit more informed on how the political system works and who the candidate or candidates really are. Mm -hmm. I just had to think about it for a second. Um, so yeah. Um, I don't know. Parting words.
0: Vote vote or die.
2: (laughs) (laughs) burn yeah. um okay great well uh yeah thanks for thanks for chatting with us and see you later, PK see you later bye,
0: bye. time
1: give me space gimme real don't give me fake gimme strength reserve control gimme heart